Our God is in our strength and a refuge, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we have nothing to fear, though the earth fall into the heart of the sea. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord Almighty is with us. The Lord our God, the God of Jacob, is our fortress. For our city, for God's church, for our church, uh, let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we are still before you this morning looking for your help in this time of trouble. Trouble in our nation, trouble in our city, trouble in our hearts. We pray for the family and friends of Daniel Prude, for healing, for hope, for peace. We pray for the communities of our city. Heal and comfort the hurting, strengthen the weak. We pray for wisdom to do what is good and right for all those in authority, for our mayor, for our chief of police, for all the men and women in uniform today. Help our community, city and suburbs, black, brown, and white, to see we have a shared responsibility to work to find a way to work together. Heal our divisions, mend our hearts, restore our hope. The eyes of the nation are on Rochester today. Help us to stand together as your church to show the world a better way. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been in, those of you who have been with us here and online, in a series of messages titled Rooted that are tipping toward a small group experience we're launching in just a few weeks here. There are seven key themes, seven key questions. Today is the sixth key theme and the sixth key question. And the question is, how does God view money? How does God view view money. Jesus says, many of you may know this if you know the New Testament, know the Gospels, he says twice as much about money than he does about faith and a prayer together. He says more about money than heaven and hell combined. Why does he do that? Not because he loves money, not because he needs money, but because of the power that money and what money can buy has on us. When Jesus called people to follow him, he had in mind more than what many of us are experiencing. This is the big idea of this entire series, Rooted. When Jesus called people to follow him, he had more in mind than I think what many of us are experiencing when I'm talking about walking with God being a Christian. And our attitude about money or what money can buy is one of the reasons the only reason I'm talking about it here this morning. In one of his great teachings, many of us would know this, about money to his disciples, Jesus said this, okay? You could finish the quote for me, you know? Uh, it's easier for a, 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 a rich man to go through the, a camel to go through the eye of a needle, right, than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, okay? So it's sort of a proverb. And it's obviously 
um, maybe Jesus didn't even invent this, but he's using it. Maybe he did, but he's making it. It's it's a metaphor for impossibility. He's saying, listen to his disciples. They're saying, listen, they're talking about money. So listen, it would be easier for the camel, right, which was the, you know, the automobile of his day, right? Everyone knew what a camel was, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples said, if you remember the passage, they said, they were astonished, like you and I would be. And they said, who then can be saved? They thought this is an impossibility. But what Jesus is making a point, okay? They did not understand, he was making a point, as I think many of us do not understand, the barrier that wealth can have to spiritual growth. That's the point. The barrier that wealth, sometimes we use the word materialism, money and what money can buy, the barrier that it can have to spiritual growth that God wants for you and God wants for me. So three important things I want to say in this brief message. You know, how does God view money? First way is as a way to raise people okay think about this as a way to raise people a writer that i like said this god created us to love people and use things not love things and use people okay think about the world we live in today he said listen this is how god created us god created us in his image to love people This is what life is all about, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, this is the sum total of everything the Bible has to say, his Bible, the Old Testament. This is it. God has created us to love people and use things. He's blessed you and me and people in the world. But many of us, right, we live in a world, this is turned upside down, that we love things, and we use people, right? That describes a lot of what's going on in the world today. One of the best examples of what it means to live this truth out is in the New Testament letter of 2 Corinthians, where Paul is going to put forth as a model the what he calls the Macedonian churches. And he's writing to the church in Corinth, but he says, I want to show you what it really means to be a follower of Jesus vis-a-vis your money. I want to show you what it means to live out this idea that God has created you to love people and use things, not love things and use people. And these people are a great example. Okay? First Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter Eight, first five verses. And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. You see, it starts with what God gives us. In the midst of a very severe trial, we don't know what it was, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able And even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. There was no one twisted their arm. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service 
to the Lord's people. It was the persecuted, um, devastated mother church in Jerusalem. That's what this was about, a collection. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Okay, I just want to take a minute on this fifth verse. So the, the context of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and he was, he was, he was doing this collection. See, this is the old days, you know, camelback, horseback, riding throughout. And this took months and months and months, maybe a couple years, to do this collection. It's recorded in the New Testament in many places. This is just one. To, to, to do this collection from all the other churches that Paul had started and to bring this collection to the church in Jerusalem that used to be this mega church, Acts chapter 2, but now had become an anemic, poor, devastated, persecuted uh, church that had been, that had been um, devastated by the, the opposition and by the Jewish opposition in its day. It was, it was down to the bare bones, Right? And they were suffering and they were struggling. And Paul created this offering. And he, he's writing to the Corinthian church because several of these churches said, we're in. Right? Like we do a collection here. We're in. And so Paul had sent a couple, um, you know, dispatches. And they were having a little hard time, you know, coming up with their promise. And so Paul says, listen, I'm going to send somebody ahead. But I want to give you a model of the church here. The Macedonian church. And he said, listen, and this is so important. God is in, this is a great picture of what the church is. God views money. God doesn't need money. <laughs> he doesn't need it. He's, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, Psalm 24.1. He doesn't need money. It's really about our hearts, okay? And in verse 5, he said, these people, this congregation, they were not wealthy. In fact, they were in extreme poverty and they had some kind of trial going on, but they understood in a manner of speaking the secret of the Christian life. The secret of the Christian life in a manner of speaking is they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They urgently asked us, pleaded with us to give. Once you give yourself fully to the Lord, that's what we're talking about in this whole Rooted series, okay? When you and I, it's, it's, it's a, it's a um, surrender. The Christian life is not about someone putting a rope around your neck. God never does that, right? Even to the disciples, he says, come, pick up your cross and follow. It's always an invitation. But it, when you and I choose, right, it's an everyday thing, to give ourselves fully to the Lord, they gave themselves first to the Lord, then God, in a manner of speaking, gives himself fully to you. And when God gives himself fully to you, then the things that held sway, the things that you thought you needed, your sort of false securities and false gods, money being one of them, they, you go from this to like this. And they said once they'd given themselves to the Lord, then they saw their lives, but their money in a whole new way. And they urgently asked Paul and said, we want to give. And they gave beyond what was asked, right, out of extreme poverty. They urgently pleaded and gave of themselves first to the Lord and also to us, right? God created us to love people and use things, not love things and use people. 
this church is a great example. I had the opportunity this week to sit with a couple from this church um, about my age, back porch of their home, and talk. And the wife of this couple um, has terminal cancer. And she has been given about two months to live. We're talking. And after we talked some, I, I said to her, um, what are you doing with, you know, what are you, what are you up to? You know, what have you been doing now with your time? You know, and she said, I've been doing this. As long as I have the energy, what I'm doing right now, sitting right here on this porch, basically I've been doing this with my friends and with my family every day as long as I have the strength to do it. She's been holding court with the people that she knows and that she loves and that love her. This is how she's spending the last 60 days of her life. When I, when I drove away, two things hit me. I thought, number one, I was very sobered. And I thought, wow, she, she gave me that time. I'm one of those people that sat in that chair for an hour. But then I thought, God, help me. Help us to live our lives that way when we don't have a terminal disease, right? God has created us. This is the purpose of life, to love people and use things, not to love things and use people. This is, this is a great model of the church. Listen, let's be this church, right? But if you want to be this kind of person, if I want to be God, this kind of person, 2 Corinthians 8, 5, you need to give yourselves first to the Lord. Everything, okay? Everything. And then you'll be free, I'll be free, when God gives himself fully to me to want to love people the way God has loved us. God, how does God see our money as a way to raise people? Second, as a means of worship. Listen carefully. As a means of worship. I mean, not think of this. Sometimes we think of money as just this sort of thing, right? Why does Jesus talk so much about it? Here's the, here's the big idea. How do I, how do you become a person like this as the Macedonian churches is an example, right? Someone who doesn't even have a lot of money in extreme poverty. Out of even in severe trial, they gave above and beyond and they had joy. <laughs> they did it with joy because they understood the secret of the Christian life. First one is you need to see giving or your money as a means of worship. Everything that you have, everything that I have, think about this if you believe this, has been given to you by God. Your health has been given to you by God if you have it. Your wealth has been given to you by God. Listen, your ability, I could give you the chapter and verse in Deuteronomy, your ability to create wealth, some of you are good at it, has been given to you by God. Whether you're a school teacher, a doctor, a plumber, or a king, all you have has been given to you by God. Okay? Full stop. And each day you have an opportunity, I have an opportunity, if I recognize that, to give back to him, not just money, but your life, what he has given to you. This is the rhythm of the Christian life. It starts with, we love because he first 
loved us. Listen to these very important verses from the end of David's life. At the very end of David's life, he wants to build, many of you know, the great King David, he wants to build this temple uh, that it was kind of his life's ambition. Like you could say, what's my life's ambition, right? People have different life ambitions. One of David's great life ambitions was to build a, because for all these years in David's young life, but all the history of Israel, the, the house of God was a tent. It was a big glorified circus tent called the tabernacle. And God had helped the nation come into the promised land. There was houses there. They, they had vineyards there. They built up this great nation. But the, the sort of quote unquote house of God was a circus tent. And David said, my great ambition is I want to build a house for God that is a temple. Okay. And David was not given the privilege to do that. But God said, I, I honor your desire, but your son's going to do that. But David still said, okay, then my last um, act as a king is I'm going to give of everything that I have and I'm going to encourage all my friends to give everything they have so that we, we, we have the, we're ready to build this thing. We've raised the money. We've raised the goods and services, so to speak. And, and David does this and the outpouring, it's almost like 2 Corinthians 8, is absolutely unbelievable. David not only opens up his own, he's probably, I'm sure he's the wealthiest man in Israel. He gives everything he has, but people, people get, it starts a momentum. And people give so much, and they basically say, you have to stop. This is David's, just the middle of his prayer. Listen carefully. God views our money as a way of worship. Now our God, 1 Chronicles 29, 13. We give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Now listen carefully. But who am I? And who are my people? that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Right? Now, First Chronicles 29, in a few more verses, David dies. So what I'm saying to you is, this is the wisdom of a man at the end of his life, who finally came to understand something. But we, don't, we shouldn't have to wait to the end of our lives to understand. He says this, who am I? Right? Now many of you may know that David was not the first choice to be Israel's king. Right? He was not the first choice. The first choice was a man named Saul. And Saul was a head taller, this is what the Bible says, this, he was a head taller than any man in Israel. That's a Bible way of saying Saul was, um, when Saul walked into a room, everybody looked at him. Saul was a man that commanded attention. Saul was a man who was, who was handsome and, you know, uh, brawny, whatever the case may be, okay? He was the obvious choice of the people to be their king. But see what happened? Saul loved things and used people. And his life ended in a, in a very bad way. And David's having this moment and he's remembering that he was the eighth son, 1 Samuel 16, in a culture that worshipped the firstborn. Not so much in our culture. The firstborn got twice X of the father's inheritance. The firstborn were the people that were at the front of the table in the, in the ancient world. David was the eighth 
son from the town of Bethlehem. You think Bethlehem was small in Jesus' day? A thousand years earlier when David was born? One stoplight and a fruit stand, okay? It was nothing. And David's, David's having this moment. He's saying, listen, who am I that I should be in this moment as the king of Israel giving this and watching people give this? Listen, everything you have has come from God. Many of you, I know this because I know some of you, you've worked hard in your life. You've worked hard. You have abilities. Listen, you've gone after opportunities, some of you, more than others and some of us, and you've created a great life. You've created some wealth. Listen, you did this, and I want to say it's true. I want to I I acknowledge that. But your health, your family, your education, your opportunity, they've all been given to you by God. The family you were born in, it's been given to you by God. Listen, some of us in this world are more advantaged than others. It's true, right? Some of us are born in countries that have great health care. Some of us are born with a mom and a dad. Some of us are born where, where our college education is paid for before we even have our first day, and on and on and on. We, we are given certain things from God. There, some of us are more advantaged than others. You say, well, why did God do that? I have no idea. That's, but the important question is not, what are your advantages? What are you doing with them? That's the question. Everything you have is from God. You are a steward of your health, your wealth, your abilities, everything. What are you doing with it? What am I doing with it? God, how does God view our money? As a way to raise people like you and like me and like our church. As a way, it's a means of worship. Okay, It's a means of worship. And lastly, it's a test of your faith. Right? How does God view money? This is so important. As a test of your faith. Right? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Right? It's a test of your faith. There's one of, one of my favorite um, Jesus stories, counts, is what's called the story of the rich young ruler. It's in all three of the, what we call the, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Jesus says something there that is, again, provocative. He's, he's talking to this, um, his disciples are there too, so it's for us. And he's talking to this man who, from all um, measures, seems like a good guy, a, a moral guy. He's coming to Jesus and says, I want to know what, he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I like what you say. Um, he, he, he's, a, he's a pious person. That's the way he's presented. He's not a religious leader, kind of a negative portrayal. He's a good guy with a good heart. That's the way he's presented. He says, Lord, what must I do? And Jesus looks at him and says, this is what you need to do. You need to sell everything that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And many people, maybe you're the same way. When I first heard that, I've heard that for many years, I think, gosh, that is Unbelievable. 
That's radical. In fact, Jesus never says that to anybody else. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And it seems like Jesus is being harsh, Jesus is being mean, and it seems very off-putting. But what is really going on here? God works with us as individuals. It says this in Mark 10, 21. You can write that down because in Mark's version it said this. Before Jesus said that to him, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, he said this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's a commentary just from the writer. In other words, he says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said, it's, Jesus said this to him out of love. And he said, one thing you lack to this man. One thing you lack. He said, okay, that's it. One thing, that's it. And that's when he said, go sell everything you have. And it reminded me of the account of Mary and Martha, right? What did he say to Mary and Martha? Those of you who know that great story of Luke 10. You know, uh, Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet just listening to him, just absorbing, and, and Martha's running around, you know, of course, putting together this meal for this gathering. And Martha challenges Jesus, says, Jesus, would you please have Mary get up? You know, enough of the sermon. We want, I need some help. And Jesus lovingly says to her, Martha, you're worried about a lot of things, but one thing is needful. In other words, what's the most important thing? Right? That's what Jesus is saying to this man. One thing is important. The problem is not that God doesn't love rich people. He loves them too. Right? That's what you see in Mark 10. But that rich people often, you and me, don't love God with all their heart because there's too many other things to love. That's the point, right? There's too many other things to love. God sees wealth as a test of our faith. Listen to these words, um, Malachi 3.8. It's how the Old Testament ends. It's the last sermon in the Old Testament. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, it's the last page in your Old Testament, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, right? The gifts they're committed to give to serve the church and the ministries of the church. That there may be food in the house. Now watch this, here's the beauty. Test me in this. See, God wants you to test him. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Listen, does God need money? Of course not. He needs your heart. But sometimes money and what money can buy, see, that's become center stage in our heart. So God says, listen, I want you to give it to me in other words, I, and what is he saying? I want you to trust me instead of trust that. And if you can do that, I'm going to open up your heart. You're going to be able to be someone who loves people and uses things, not uses people and loves things. A couple months ago, this is still going on in the middle of the coronavirus, we, we, we as a church um, staff, you know, we just said, how are we going to do church? Well, we're going to have to do it the old school way. And, you know, start calling people on the telephone, praying with them. And hopefully you've gotten a call from one of us, or you will, you know, as we work through our congregation. I called one guy who, his name is uh, Chris 
um, Eggers, Chris Egger, and his wife Carrie. It's just on my list of people to call. And I just said, how you doing? What's going on? How's life? And it was a great conversation. This was months ago. And he said, um, you know, Pastor Rob, we're, we're, uh, God has been so good. And in, in, in kind of in spite of all that's taken place, he said, you know, our lives have been enriched. And he just went on to tell how God had blessed his family. And then before I got off the phone, he said this. I said, uh, I almost talked to him, he said, can I ask you something? He said, I said, sure. And he said, um, is there anyone in the church, a family that has financial needs? I mean, anyone, because we talked, he said, I would love to just be, to, 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 to take care of those needs for them. Can I do that? And I thought, wow, <laughs> I've made him calls like that, you know. I said, well, listen, Chris, I'll, I'll let you know. Thank you so much. And when I got ready to do this talk, it came back to me. Um, and I, I said, I want to sit down with him and his wife, and I did. And I said, um, I was so impressed by what you said, and I began to ask them a little bit about their relationship with money. Watch this brief video as we close our service this morning. I remember being afraid because there, there was a period of time in my life I ate a bagel with a piece of cheese on it every single day because I had no money getting out of college. And um, that was like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So I was so afraid that that little bit that I had was going to be gone. It was a really hard concept for me to get my myself wrapped around to be like tithing. I didn't even know what tithing was, right? And then I understood once I started getting more into my faith and coming to church and understanding what tithing was and then also the importance of it. Um, it made me reflect, this is really important to do and do it from a willing heart. A wantful heart, not like I have to check this box and oh, I have to do this. I want to do it. I want to do it because I think about where my life was and where my life is now, right? Everything that I have, right? And, and I'm not just talking about, you know, my possessions or anything. I'm talking about the relationship with my wife, my kids, everything that I've experienced in my life. I say this every single day when I pray to God. It's like, I realize it's because of you. It's, you know, I, I could not have done this on my own, right? So, you know, I want to give because I know how hard it is out there. And I know how important it is, and I know that um, God has given so much to me. In the beginning, when we were really young, we didn't have a lot of money at all. And we started off, we knew what our goal was to get to, but we started off small, and then every six months or every year, we would keep adding. And um, even when we would hit really unexpected things or rough patches or whatever, God always was faithful to us, so it just encouraged us, I think. It's kind of like you can't hit a home run. you got to hit base hits. It's that kind of analogy. It's You start out s slow. At first, if you're not doing anything, it's like, how do you get the ball rolling, right? Okay, let's let's start here. Have a goal here, right? We know that the ultimate goal is up here, but we're not going to be able to do that right now. So we went in kind of incremental patterns, being consistent, right, with it. And then as, you know, as anything, as, as you get older, your career progresses, you get higher levels of responsibility, you get raises. When you get those raises, make sure that the tithing goes along with that, right? It's like whenever I got a, a big raise or a new job or anything like that, I always tithed on that and make sure that I was doing that. So um, we wanted to raise our commitment. We stayed committed, but you got to start, at least we did, we had to start, had to start. start really low and go right. slow. We were afraid. We were afraid. It was a big but leap of faith. And then we got more comfortable with it. And then we really really felt like we can do we can totally do this right we can do this and we want and we wanted to do it more and more i feel for me it's given me a really like uh
peaceful heart. Uh, it reinforces my faith in, in, in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I feel like, you know, when I, when I do those things, and not only that I'm doing because I want to, but I also know that God wants me to do it too. Or otherwise he wouldn't have given me the means to do it. You know, and, and it's, it makes me feel good to know um, that when I'm giving, um, it's helping somebody. It's helping an organization, people, right? It's, it's the people in your lives that make the biggest difference, right? It's not the things that you own. I am not just whispering around the cool water cooler about, you know, being a follower of Jesus Christ, but actually, you know, my actions prove that. Just over the years, when any financial or tragic experience would come our way, we've gotten so much better at um, being able to face them because we have, every time, God, like, every single time, God rescues us. Um, it could be the biggest difference in your, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. Um, I can tell you that I look back when I first started, I was very nervous. Now you can, you can either act in faith or you can act in fear, but you can't do both, right? And it was a big leap of faith for me. Um, and God proved to me that that was the right thing to do, and I felt really great about doing it. Um, it is a, it's, it's re, it, it was really meaningful for me to participate in that part of my faith. You can try to outgive God, but you never will. You know, it's like I, I give him faith, and then I'm like, things happen. You know, lose a job, get a severance package, get a better job, keep the severance package, right? I mean, these things work out. You know, it's just, and um, I have repeatedly found um, through God that, um, you know, he's been so loving and so giving in my life. I'm really grateful. God has called us to love people and use things, not love things and use people. You know, you might say, uh, how's Browncroft doing? You know, we're doing very good. <laughs> it's amazing if you pay attention to this. We'll talk about it, I guess, in a month or so in our congregational meeting. Um, you guys have been amazing. I, I think our money is, is what it was, maybe a tad more than a year ago. You say, well, Rob, then why this message? Our, our, our congregation, we have, back in the old days when we were all here getting, you know, gathering on a good Sunday, maybe we had um, 15, 1,800 people counting every little baby or whatever. I'm talking about on a Sunday morning, okay? But we have, we know about 3,000 people, let's say, that come to church, let's say once a month. Our giving, this we know, records, we, we have about 500 givers, okay? Um, our, my sense is, our sense is just by looking at aggregate data, okay? It's not a, um, you know, we don't know all the answers about what people make, but based upon, you know, this uh, demographic that we live in, that probably of our 500 givers, um, about 20% of our entire church, um, give or take, are what we call a tither, that is, that give 10% um, of their income, which was the standard or the starting point, let's say, for the scriptures. Now, so the reason for this message is not we are in a, we're, we're, we're in a hole, we need to get out of it. We're actually not in a hole. But giving is what God wants for you, not from you. So my message to you is not, the church is in a trouble, we need your money. My message to you is, 
money is a big reason that may be keeping you from the spiritual growth that you need. This is God's wisdom. And if our 20% went to some higher number, if all of a sudden more of us got in the game, only you know if you're in the game, if you're listening to me, um, I think probably 20 or 30% of the people that come to the church don't give a nickel. And we're glad you're here. We don't want you to stop coming. But this message is not so you'll help us pay a bill. It's for your own, it's, it's discipleship. Giving is discipleship. That's what I'm saying. Test me and see if I will not open up the doors of heaven and, and, and bless you. Because God needs your money? No. Because God wants your heart. That's what this is about. Amen? Amen. All right. Let me pray for us. God and Father, we love you. We thank you. And we need you, Lord. And I pray, I don't know if there's ever been a time more that the idea that you've created us to love people and use things is more important than right now today. We want to be a congregation that knows what it means to love people, to give ourselves fully to the Lord so that we can become available, uh, Lord, to give what you have given to us, everything, not just our money, our, our hearts, our hands, our service, to go after the hurting in this world, to go after the spiritually broken and lost in this world, to go after people in need, even here in this city, that on this day in you know, September of 2020 is crying out for help and hope and healing. Help us to be a people that love other people on the way that you've called us to do. Help us to take a stand and to show the world by the way that we love a better way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.